evening, everybody, and welcome into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. I'm Chris Kerber, and a good show for you here tonight. Stay tuned. We've got Doug Armstrong, Craig Baruby. You're going to hear from former St. Louis Blue Phil Roberto as well, all within the next hour right here on the Boardwalk Carpet Floors Behind the Bench Show. Hey, if you're tired of looking at stained carpet and scuff vinyl, we would love to help you increase your style and the value of your home with Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When considering new flooring in your home, real wood is the healthiest option and provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk is a local family-owned business providing quality floors in our community for more than 22 years. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Don't just take our word for it. Check out reviews on Google. Visit one of our three area showrooms and online at boardwalkhardwood.com. All right, coming up in the next segment, you're going to hear from Doug Armstrong. Then we'll hear from the Blues head coach, Craig Berube, get his thoughts on what is going to be going on here over the next month or so for the Blues. And then we're going to catch up in an interview that I had done with former St. Louis Blue Phil Roberto. If you miss this, he'll tell you some great stories as well. Coming up Friday night right here on 101 ESPN, we're going to be replaying Game 7 on the one-year anniversary of the St. Louis Blues winning their first-ever Stanley Cup. But on the TV side, the St. Louis Blues Blue Note production uh, put together a special production as well. And on the TV side, it'll air on Fox Sports Midwest. What they did was they interviewed 13 players, Craig Berube, Tom Stillman, and Doug Armstrong. They took a whole bunch of different moments throughout Game 7, showed them back to these individuals, the players, the coaches, the general manager, the owner, and got their reactions. For example, Alex Petrangelo. Cutting in over the blue line, getting the puck from Jaden Schwartz and scoring to make it 2 nothing. While the play is going on, you're going to see Alex Petrangelo in the corner giving you his perspective on what happened during that play. And to give you a little bit of an idea of what that's like, we've got it for you here. For example, Craig Berube on the opening faceoff talking about why he started the starting lineup he did. Anytime you're in a Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals, there's a lot of emotion going on. Um you know, a lot of lot of energy in your body and a lot of thoughts going on in your head at the same time. I mean, but at the same time, like I told the guys, after the first couple shifts, she's just hockey again, and we're going to go play. All the um, all the nervous energy, you know, that kind of stuff will be that'll be gone. You're just going to be playing the game. So I started, uh, you know, I started uh, the Sun Sunquist line. You know, uh, they usually get us off to a good start. They play a pretty direct game. I wanted it to be direct right away and physical right away and that that lineup that's out there right now with Perinko and Bolmeister they usually get us going that way how about some of the guys that were not down on the ice but were watching from up above like Chris Thorburn and Chris Butler some of what they went through is actually kind of amazing and stressful I mean I know Butts was uh was nervous I was you know very nervous but Butts never showed it and kind of calmed everyone down gave me a sense of relief and Butts, Butts was did a good job of talking some sense like going through the game be like all right dude like this is a big play for us or a power play for us or this is a big kill like just kind of uh dumbing it down almost to kind of you know reset so um yeah i mean we were all all nervous but at the same time uh we showed it a little different and i think i was calm for the entire playoff series up until that game seven and the worst part about those games is those are eight o'clock starts we were out of the rink by like 12 15 you're back at the hotel at 12 30 well now you got six and a half, seven hours to kill before you head over to the garden. I think I took like three walks that day through Boston Garden. I was drinking coffee all afternoon just because it was something to do. And that game seven, just knowing that this is the very last day of the season and 
more than likely both of us were going to be finished playing at that point. It was just, that was probably the most nervous I've ever been for a hockey game. And then the hard part is knowing that you don't have any control over it. You don't know what's being said in the locker room. You can't get a real feel for what the bench is like. And uh, game seven, probably the roles were reversed. You know, I was standing behind Thorpe's for most of the game and you're like slapping them on the back when a good play happens and you're kind of bouncing around goals are being scored and you're high-fiving guys like Kevin McDonald and different guys that are around. Like, it was just the environment was completely different for that game than any other playoff game. Braden Shen scored a huge goal in game number seven. It put the Blues on top by a score of three to nothing, deflecting in a Jay Bollmeister shot. Here's Pat Maroon and Braden Shen talking about it. And again, you will hear this and see this while you're watching the game. As a line as a whole, what we're kind of looked to do here, obviously Vince Dunn comes around, makes a good play, and I kind of chip it to Bozy there and mishandled it, but Petro picked it up. But we were just finding ways to get to that, create energy here. Yeah, so we, we were able, we could see the momentum starting to come here. We had a few uh, few good shifts where we're kind of hounding, we're kind of getting the puck back, we're putting where we want. Um, just like this is our game right here, you know, below the goal line playing heavy. Blazer comes in, obviously makes a huge hit, gets the puck in, and you just see it's building. You know, we're guys just working, like everyone's together. Um, and off this play, I remember just fighting to get to the front of the net. Well, he makes a great shot, and I'm able just to kind of get a little piece of it, and uh, we get a good bounce, and you can just kind of, you can just see that kind of sequence of shifts, how it just developed, and, we get a bounce, and then this, like, our bench, the excitement now is just like, okay, we're ready to take this thing over. And then just what about the reaction from Colton Pareko and Ryan O'Reilly when they're standing there watching the cup come out onto the ice? Yeah, there he is. Big board. Holy. Oh, man. I still remember here being with the guys, watching the cup come out and how shiny it was. I don't know. This was – we were all interlocked watching it come in. Uh, again, I started to get goosebumps just seeing it again. Guys, like, ever guys just hit each other and you just see like guys, they can't take their eyes off it. It's just, <laughs> this is, yeah, an incredible moment to see it just coming out and in disbelief that uh, that run, one of the longest but most exciting runs ever is <laughs> ended in the best way possible. So, again, a real unique way of watching game number seven is going to happen Friday night as the Blues did They relived it in their own words, all the different moments, all the different reactions talked about while you're watching the play. It'll be a real special way and a unique way to watch game seven. And that, of course, is Friday night. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And some great work by Trevor Nickerson, Mike Caruso, and the Blue Note production staff downtown for the St. Louis Blues. All right, we'll take a quick break. Our first break of the Boardwalk Harbor Floors Behind the Bench show. When we come back, Man, a lot has gone on in the last couple weeks. A lot has been decided, and a lot still needs to be decided. We talk about it all with the Blues general manager, Doug Armstrong, next. Back in a moment on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey, 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back in. Let's talk things over with the uh, president of hockey operations and general manager of the St. Louis Blues as we focus on what is coming up for the St. Louis Blues here on this portion of the program tonight. And, Doug Armstrong, kind enough to slide in and join us. And, Doug, first off, uh, what's it like to kind of have at least a solid plan now to be basing preparations off of? Yeah, well, we're certainly preparing to get the guys in here uh, later in June and hopefully have a training camp uh, mid-July. And 
uh, get back to on-ice product uh, end of July, early August. So it's exciting to know that there's things to strive towards and, and prepare for. What is going into the decision-making to open up uh, the facility and get things going uh, over, I guess, what right around June 22nd versus where some teams are going right now? Well, just talking to our, our players, the number of players that are here, did they – did they, they want our facility? Do they need our facility? They're, they seem to be in, in a very good spot. Uh, uh, the NHL uh, protocol is uh, six players. I think they're allowed to skate with a little bit larger groups. It's in different places. And they're, they're comfortable in their training. And so uh, it's sort of based on just talking to our guys. And uh, I know that they're going to be ready uh, uh, when they get back here and just trying to, to listen to what they need. Doug, do we have uh, other NHLers in town that could potentially use the facility? Uh, yeah, that's part of the agreement with the NHL and NHLPA that uh, when we open up, if they if they would like to skate here, we'll we'll try and make uh, us as accessible as we can. Again, Curb, you're, you're talking small groups of six people at a three-hour windows. So depending on how many people you have, you could be going uh, 12 to 15-hour days. Wow. So you, you know there has to be some reality into to how many people you can you can push through. We're talking with the general manager and president of hockey operations of the St. Louis Blues, Doug Armstrong, here as the Blues are starting to prepare to reopen the Centene Community Ice Center. Players uh, a little bit later on in June will start skating in smaller groups. What do you anticipate the opening of the training camp or what the NHL has called Phase 3 to look like? I think it's going to look like what it does in uh, most September. You know, the guys are going to come in here. The coaches will put them through some conditioning uh, uh exercises uh, as part of their practices but guys come in in shape uh, every year now they they jump into games after three days uh, of training camp and i think it'll be very similar we'll try to get some scrimmages in we'll probably have 30 to 32 33 players here so uh, we'll be able to monitor the ice time get some scrimmages in get their get their hands back and knock off some of the rust and uh, i think we'll have a a long enough training period and we're fortunate in our situation because of um, the, the work that the players did during the regular season our first uh, three games aren't, aren't uh, you know winner go home games we have that uh, we play uh, I think it's uh, Vegas Colorado and Dallas for seeding and so you know we'll be able to 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 play those games and get as many players up and running as possible so our window might be a little bit longer than those teams that are coming in and, and playing for their lives from day one. Do you think that that play-in scenario and then seeding scenario, those two combined, was really uh, one of the fairest ways to accomplish getting things going again? Yeah, I, I think that uh, they were able to reward the teams that had good regular seasons, the top four uh, in, in each conference. Uh, and they also gave the you know the chasing teams that month of March to to battle back in. I, I guess the, the the, the group of eight people that wish it wasn't like this are, are five, six, seven, and eight wish they were right into the playoffs, but not everyone was going to be happy with the scenario. And uh, I think we're, I think everyone's going to be happy that if we can just get to phase four and play hockey, that's the main thing and not worry about some of the details, whether they, they're perfect for everybody, but we just want to get back and, and put a pro- product on the ice that our fans can uh, feel that they're getting back to some form of normalcy. I would think one, Doug, one of the big differences between, sort of a training camp happening the way it would in, in July and then the one that we would normally see in September is is just how much time that the guys have been off the ice. Because even though some players may take a few weeks off the ice after the regular season, very few take this kind of time off the ice. So a lot of uniqueness, I think, in terms of what the players could be going through, don't you think? 
Uh, yeah, I do. And I, I think most guys are probably on the ice now. But even if we, we went to that June 22nd uh, uh, time frame, and uh, if you're at the last week of July or first week of August, you're talking six weeks on the ice uh, on a very regular basis. So I, I'm, I'm not concerned that uh, that certainly by the time we drop the puck for real, uh, the rust isn't going to be off. But yeah, uh, you know, I think players are, are taking more and more time off the ice now than maybe they have in the past. Uh, but their training methods are, are different where they, they work a lot on the ice. Most guys, certainly when you play as late as we did last year, don't get on the ice till probably mid, mid August anyways. So it's a, it is a different uh, animal, but it's not like they're going to forget how to skate over, over uh, three months. I think they're going to be back here. And if we're on the ice uh, as a group, um, you know, in small groups here in, on, in uh, June and then full group July 10th, I'm very comfortable. We'll be ready to roll by August. What are you being told or seeing in the strength and health of Vladimir Tarasenko? Uh, he's doing very well. Uh, he was going to be very close to playing at the end of the regular season or right at the start of the playoffs. So we expect him to, to be 100%. He's tested out with our medical staff, and uh, I'm sure he's uh, one of the, the guys that is rocking and raring to go here since he hasn't been on the ice competitively for a long time. Were there any other players that needed procedures during this downtime? Uh, Sunquist uh, came in a couple of times just uh, on, on a small ailment, nothing too serious, but that ended after a couple of weeks. So, no, uh, Vladdy was uh, the, the one guy, and as I said, he was very close to coming back anyway. So uh, we, we've been healthy, and uh, guys are ready to go. How do you think, or, or what is your opinion in terms of well, I guess I'll, let me phrase it this way. One of the things for the fans out there that don't know that, that that Doug does, that a general manager does, is you also you help a team kind of manage the distractions or lack thereof, especially come playoff time, so they can focus just solely on the job at hand. And we saw the type of focus that it took last year to win a Stanley Cup for the St. Louis Blues. One of the challenges, Doug, that could come of this one, at least through the first two rounds of the playoffs, Gary Bettman has stated they're leaving the option open maybe for the conference final or the Stanley Cup final to be played in the home cities. But at least through the first two rounds, you will have the the sequestering of, of teams in a hub city. How do you approach what could be the mental challenges of that long window of basically being in a in a different city? Well, I think you rely on, on communication with your leadership group. Uh, Craig and I will talk to our players. Uh, you know, there's certain things in life that you can control, and and you and you want to you want to control those, and that'll be our attitude, our preparation, our, our mental mindset. Uh, you know, we're not going to be able to control the environment. We're not going to be able to control all the things that uh, that go into it. And I think the the maturity of our team is going to be tested, uh, and then the desire to to stay on task. And uh, this group has shown no indication that we shouldn't fully fully trust they're going to be ready to play. And it's like anything in in, in pro sport. And these guys, you know, in, in athletics, is that if you're going to go through the exercise, you might as well win. And I imagine our players are going to take that format going in. Uh, understanding that their careers are are a finite uh, time frame, and they have a chance to to uh, to compete for the Stanley Cup, and they're going to put their best foot forward. Hey, from a CBA standpoint, or at least uh, the economic standpoint of this, Doug, with it now basically being considered that the regular season has ended, and even the play-in rounds or these seeding games are considered playoff games, does that mean that in terms of rosters, the salary cap does not have any impact whatsoever on how the rosters, for example, a player that was on long-term IR that might not have come back until the playoffs because of cap situations, all that is done? I think that's still being negotiated between the NHL and NHLPA. 
Uh, my understanding, uh, based on the memos we've we've received, is that the uh, the regular season is over now. And if we take that format going into the the play-in round or the playoffs, that the cap is no longer an issue. Uh, but I think all all these things need to be uh, vetted out with between the union and the, and the league. Uh, my expectation is that we're going to have sort of what we had uh, curved last year. We're going to have the black aces around. Uh, we'll probably have to get into those guys more than we did in the past, just because of. Uh, injuries earlier on or, or or more importantly wanting them to play in maybe a couple of exhibition games or some of these um, round robin games that we have just because if you need them uh, you want you want them to have at least played in in a game situation over the last five or six months but i, I from a cap perspective uh, my understanding is that, that that part's behind us now we're into the playoff mode have you made the decisions on which players from the american hockey league will be uh, sticking and coming in with the with the team yeah, well, Craig and I have, have, have a short list now. We've reached out to some guys, and uh, again, we're, we're waiting on that final number from the union and the league to, to agree upon, and uh, uh, we'll start out. We want to have a, you know, you may, <coughs> excuse me, again, you, you need instruction on how you can do it, maybe a little bigger camp so you can have more competitive scrimmages, and then weed guys out after that, or you just start with the, the, the group that you can take to the pod city. Again, this is very fluid, and we're waiting for instruction. Are you in favor of the roster for a game night expanding at all? Uh, I don't think it's necessary, no. No. So in terms of even if you move into next year with a condensed schedule, having a couple extra players on on, on the bench, it's something that with the timeouts and things in the game that players can be pretty rested. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, being being involved in international hockey uh, on a few um, a few occasions, it's very difficult. That thirteenth forward or that seventh defenseman, yep. uh, you know, they very rarely get shifts. They, you know, it, it takes the fluidity out of, of of your you know your four lines or your, or your three pair of D. Uh, again, so my personal preference would be just to to stay with what we have and and, and make adjustments. You know, if necessary uh, during a game. You know, at the end of the day, the, the star players want to play. You, I, I never hear someone coming off the ice and saying, geez, I, I wish I didn't play that much. Uh, you know, they all want to play more. They all want to be on the ice. And so uh, I, I don't think it's necessary myself. And as far as uh, any talk with free agents, restricted or unrestricted free agents, is all that still on hold until negotiations uh, finish in terms of what a what a salary cap or what type of financial structure could look like coming out of this? Yeah, we 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 made some uh, um, signings earlier in this process, and I think the rest now, just with the uncertainty, is to wait to find out what uh, uh, you know. We have two years left on the CBA to see if there's any extension on that CBA. Again, that's above my pay grade, and if it is what it looks like, and if it's not what it looks like over the next two years, so we we need to wait and see exactly what uh, what the league and the union are up to behind closed doors. Any other challenges uh, that you see right now, or are you looking forward to at least getting just uh, guys back in the building and and wait for word from the league on on phase three? Well, I, I think the challenge is just going to be able to stay in the moment and not uh, not not worry about what's coming around the next corner. Just just take take it day by day. You know, things are going to be fluid. There's going to be things that uh, uh, outbreaks or whatever is going to happen. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, around us. So I think we just have to come in. We have to worry about controlling what we can and uh, the rest will take care of itself. And again, I think that's sort of been the mandate of this group for a number of years here. So I, I see our group coming back with the strong leadership that we have to, just to control the things we can control and be ready for whatever. Last last question for you, Doug. With, with every team having the break and every team essentially coming in rested and teams 
maybe having players available to them that they were not going to have available to them had the playoffs started that middle of that second week in April. Do you think that this could be one of the hardest Stanley Cup tournaments to play? Well, I do. I think that, uh, you know, part of part of the, you know, the grind of the playoffs is, is, is having a full year of your body being, uh, you know, wear and tear broken down and still finding that mental toughness to come through it. I think everyone's coming in fresh. Now, things that we've never had to worry about, there's perennial quick starters and slow starters in the NHL in October. Yeah. Uh, and if you're a slow starter, that's not going to bode well for you, uh, when you when you're coming in and playing meaningful games right away. Uh, I also think the intensity that we know it, that's been there in the playoffs always seems to ratchet up a little bit, especially as you go on. You know, you're you're getting the best teams, the best referees. There's there's more intensity, uh, and that's going to be more wear and tear. So, uh, you know, I think everyone's going to start on, uh, you know, phase two healthy, probably phase three healthy, early part of phase four healthy. But I'm not sure that you're going to see everyone healthy uh, uh, just just out of the nature of our game uh, as, as that rolls on and you're going to have to have depth and you're going to have players uh, that, that, you know, understand their body and, and know how to, to play through things that, uh, um, you know, that they, they're accustomed to playing in, in uh, usually in March, April, and May. They're going to have to get accustomed to doing that in uh, obviously um, August, September, and October. Okay. Sorry. I thought of one more thing. Is, is it still being worked on whether or not a player like a Scott Perunovic could potentially participate or has that been decided upon? Uh, From a league standpoint, that, uh, yeah, it's something that the league and the union are talking about. I've heard it's still a varying, uh, it's still something they're negotiating on. Uh, if the regular season over, based on the, the previous CBA, the current CBA, he would not be allowed to play. Uh, but these are strange times, so I think they're still talking about that. So we still have both options open for Scotty, and the league will tell us which one. Uh, uh, you know, if we have, if we have one option or two options to consider. Gotcha. Army, thanks for giving us an update. Uh, looking forward to seeing you at the rink before too long here. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it, Curbs. Take care, Paul. Well, that's Blues General Manager and President of Hockey Operations, Doug Armstrong. When we come back, we go to the head coach, Craig Barubi, talks these upcoming scenarios with us in a moment here on the Boardwalk Harbor Floors Behind the Bench Show on 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back into tonight's edition of the Boardwalk Cardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. Chris Kerber with you here tonight and uh, thrilled to be joined again by the head coach of your St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube. And Craig, you're getting ready to head back to St. Louis. Can uh, you feel a little bit of energy as if it was September and camp was about to open up? Yeah, a little. I mean, think sounds like things are kind of uh, getting going in the right direction. So we'll get back there and, you know, hopefully uh, – you know, things will work out. We can get back to playing. We'll see. What's it like for you guys as a coaching staff? And I talked to Steve Ott uh, about two weeks ago for for the same show. We, we, we chatted with him for the whole hour. What's it like for you guys to now at least have some direction in terms of what games would be played and how it will be played in terms of how you can plan moving forward? Yeah, well, we can prepare now. We can, like – you know, we can prepare and look at the round, uh, the the round robin we have um, <clears throat> with, uh, you know, the three other teams, and we can we can prepare for that. So, you know, you can you can at least get some work in, and you know who you probably are gonna you're gonna play right away. Um, so we can look at those teams. But you know, the biggest thing is just getting your team prepared to uh, compete again and to play, um, and that's going to come from camp um, and. You know, getting uh, the competition back up there, and after they've been off for quite a while, 
Um, so that's going to be the most important part of it all is uh, getting your team very competitive right away. Um, I think the team that uh, gets out there and, and really jumps on the ice and plays the hardest is going to have the best chance to win. Do you think the teams that adjust to the scenario and just accept that this is what it is, whether it be being sequestered in a hub city for several weeks to a month or longer, that kind of thing, whoever can adjust to some of the abnormalities that are now normal that will be easier to gel as a team quicker? Well, definitely. I think that your attitude is going to be really important here and how you you know, go forward with what the plan is, you know. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, the regular season, throw it out the window. It doesn't matter how well you played or whatever. It's now it's reseeding and things like that. So you gotta, you gotta be mentally tough in this situation. You gotta understand what's going on and make and accept it and go forward. Um, if you're going to complain about, you know, being in a hotel for this long and in one city, or this is unfair, that's unfair. You're probably not going to go very far. Now, now that you've had a chance uh, for a little while here to digest at least the plan of the round-robin aspect for the top four seeds, the play-in aspect for the bottom eight seeds, 12 teams from each conference getting into this scenario, what are your overall thoughts of the game plan that the league has put in front of all these teams? Well, I think it's fair because, you know, there was teams that are right on the bubble that uh, with 10 or 11 games left in the regular season, that's plenty of games um, get on a roll, they're they're going to make the playoffs. So I think they did a good job of adding uh, more teams that probably were on the bubble of making the playoffs and easily could have made it. Um, the, you know, and the reseeding part I think is fine because you know with the round robin because it's pretty tight. Like you know, Colorado's two points behind us. You know, Vegas is right up there. So I think they're doing what's fair. You know, we may not like it, or you you know, different people may not like it. This and that, but. It is fair. How do you think you, your approach that you've had since day one with this team of the almost, look, it is what it is, the control what you can a control approach is going to help your team as they come back together now for uh, this playoff tournament? Well, I mean, I hope it does. I mean, I think that we're going to have to get them dialed back in for sure. We're going to, you know, it's going to take some work. We're going to have to be business as usual. Uh, not worrying about everything else going around on, on around us and all the little things that are going to be involved. It's really important that, you know, you really do a good job mentally here and not let things affect you because there's going to be a lot of, you know, things that you can't control, uh, circumstances that will come up that are out of your control. And if we start letting all these little things affect us, we're not going to be a very good team. Uh, out on the ice so it's important that you know we're going into it all we're mentally tough and we're prepared for that one of the challenges that's going to come up for the teams that are the top four teams in the conference that are playing the round robin tournament to figure out the top the seating of the top four positions is going to be the fact that because not only the national hockey league hasn't been playing but your american league teams haven't been playing so the taxi squad that you may bring up, uh, for example, uh, a Vili Husso, a uh, Nico Mikola, whomever it may be, whoever you and, and Doug end up deciding is important to have on the team and have available to you once the National Hockey League determines the roster size, is not only getting your current team and the players that you're going to be moving forward into those four rounds of the playoffs with, but it's also getting those guys up to speed as well. And that may mean working some of those guys into those round-robin games. Is that part of the thought process? 
It could be. You know, to be honest with you, I haven't really <laughs> – I haven't sat down with our coaching staff and our general manager and really, really discussed the little, you know, scenarios that could come up. And But that's a good point by you. We could use a lot of people in this round robin and, and get everybody playing because we might need them. So it's important that they get some games in too. Um, I think we have a couple exhibition games, so that's good too. But, uh, you know, for me, like – in training camp, I think, you know, being a, you know, with all the, we have the taxi squad coming up there. We have a lot of players. It's going to be important to do a lot of scrimmaging in camp and get that competition up there with each other because, you know, there isn't a lot of time to prepare, you know, and, and um, I'm not sure how long camp will be, but uh, there's a lot of scenarios that are going to be thrown around and we're going to have to discuss and come up with one. I would think some of those, uh, the, the scrimmaging in camp and uh, the competition battles on the ice, not not just competition for spots. I'm actually talking the actual the physical competition on the ice could be as important for the physical conditioning to prevent injuries as anything else too, wouldn't it? Oh, definitely. I think that you got to do a lot of compete drills in practice. And, and like I said, that, you know, the scrimmaging in, in, in practice is going to be important and make sure guys are competing hard on each other. Um, because that's going to be that's going to make the difference in if you win or lose. I really believe that. We're talking with the head coach of the St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube, here on tonight's edition of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. And as the Blues are starting to gear up the thought process of what training camp, what getting back to action will mean, it, this is such a unique time and so many unique scenarios that have gone into this, Craig. What do you think some of the challenges are going to be in just terms of getting the players back and focused the way they need to be focused? Yeah, and again, that's I think that those guys getting on the ice here now and skating is important because when we get into when we get into training camp, you know, we don't want to be easing our way in and <clears throat> spending four days to make sure guys are you know okay with um, going hard, not getting injured, and things like that. So. I think player skating before camp's important, getting their minds going again, <clears throat> getting you know back to that to that um, routine that they're used to. That's going to be important, um, you know. And then throughout camp, pushing them as hard as we can. I think you know you got to really, like I said, I talked about competition and and um, you know the physical part of the game. Um, that's going to be just as challenging as the mental part of the game uh, with these guys because they've been off so, for so long. So, uh, you know, as a coaching staff uh, and organization, we've got to really push these guys in this camp because it's not going to be long and get them right up to speed. That's going to be a big part of the challenge. And the other part of the, the challenge is, is um, all the other stuff, that um, the safety rules and all that kind of stuff, and dealing with that day in and day out and uh, not getting frustrated and, making sure you're staying focused because it's important stuff and it's, it's going to be new to our players and our, and us. And uh, so again, you know, we got to stay mentally strong there and, and deal with all that stuff. Craig, I've been fascinated, at least the thought process when I look at all these teams that, that are going to be part of this scenario. For example, the, the Chicago Blackhawks, some of the injuries is, is a Brent Seabrook now available to them when he would not have been during mm-hmm. those final 10 games. Uh, basically, the Columbus Blue Jackets almost getting most of their team back available with all the injuries they dealt with. Even the St. Louis Blues, Vladimir Tarasenko, getting an extra few months just to keep that shoulder strong could be enormous. Uh, the, the bumps and bruises that were piling up on a guy like Oscar Sundquist, and now that's there. 
Normally, when you go into the Stanley Cup playoffs, part of the war of attrition of the four rounds, as we learned last year, is also how you manage your body after playing an 82-game grueling season. Now we've got guys rested for the last three months. Yeah, some still coming off of certain rehab situations, but for the most part, every team in here has got guys rested. Some teams that might have thought they were completely done are looking at this now like a a second chance at life. Uh, This tournament could just be one of the most amazing uh, high-intensity tournaments we've ever seen, don't you think? Oh, definitely. Like you said, everybody's on a level playing field right now. You know, in injuries, everybody's going to be healthy going into it. Um, you know, like you said, rested, you know, been off for a couple months or more. Um, so it, it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough, uh, a tough tournament for sure. I think, um, you know, like you said, you play 82 games throughout the season. Then you go into the playoffs. You're going in the playoffs banged up, bumps and bruises. People are injured. You know, it's just a different thought process. It, but this one, this is totally different and something that we'll, we've never seen before. So it's new to everybody, and it's uh, everybody's on, everybody's equal, in my opinion, going into it, and anybody can win. Uh, one on-ice question for you, Craig, before we let you go here. I didn't get a chance to talk to you about this. The Blues, a few weeks ago, good uh, a month or so ago, announced that they were able to sign Marco Scandella to a contract. What did his coming in and then his play with Colton Pareko mean to you guys with the loss of of Jay Bowmeister and then moving forward knowing now that he's locked up for the next few years? Yeah, it's great because we got another guy in there, left-handed shot that uh, you know is a similar type player to Bowmeister. Uh, you know, I don't like to I don't like to uh, compare players too much, but big guy that defends and he's physical and plays hard. And he was a great addition. Uh, you know, after losing a guy like Bo, um, you know, I thought he came in and really solidified that spot with Perenko, shutdown pair, penalty killing, physical play. And he brings, you know, Marco brings a lot of emotion to the game and uh, life. You know, he's a fun guy. He's um, vocal. Uh, we really enjoyed him. I think, you know, our players really liked him. So he was a great addition to us. And to get him locked up, you know, it was great. Uh, it makes us feel good that a guy that comes in like that, a veteran guy that's been around for how many years he's been around and hadn't been there that long and says, wow, I want to play here for a long time. So that makes us feel good, but we're just as happy that he chose us and wants to stay here with us too. Well, I, I know we still have some time to go yet. I know there are still some hurdles both on the business side from a league standpoint and uh, community-wise from a health standpoint yet to clear, but uh, I can't wait for a chance. And I don't know if uh, broadcasters will be on site or how we'll end up working the, you know, just broadcast aspects of these games as well. But uh, looking forward to just talking more X's and O's with you, Craig, as we get a little bit closer and back into playing again. This should be some fun. Have a safe trip back into town. You got it, Curbs. Thanks, man. I appreciate talking to you, and I'll see you soon. Well, that is the head coach of the St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube. And when we come back, we're going to go to a former Blue this interview, if you didn't catch an intermission report of in Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Final last year, you missed our interview with former St. Louis Blue Phil Roberto. I can promise you, he doesn't like the Bruins. That chat with Phil Roberto is coming your way next on the Boardwalk Harbor Floors Behind the Bench Show. Back in a moment on 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back into the Boardwalk Carpet Floors Behind the Bench Show. Hey, if you're tired of looking at stained carpet and scuffed vinyl, 
We'd love to help you increase the style and the value of your home with Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When considering new flooring in your home, real wood is the healthiest option and provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk is locally family-owned business providing quality floors in our community for more than 22 years. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Don't just take our word for it. Check out the reviews on Google. Visit one of our three area showrooms and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Phil Roberto, the former St. Louis Blue, was in town for Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Final last year. He still currently lives in Birmingham, Alabama. His wife, Mary, of course, originally from St. Louis. And I had a chance to catch up with Phil, who, back in the 1994 season for the Birmingham Bulls in the East Coast Hockey League, Phil was the head coach when I was in my first year of broadcasting. So go back a long way with him. It was a thrill to be able to catch up with him. Here's that chat of Phil Roberto talking St. Louis Blues hockey of the past and how thrilling it was to see them play the Bruins in the Stanley Cup final. What an amazing moment for me it is to be able to sit here and interview this next guy because when I first uh, got into pro hockey out of college, he was the head coach of the team I worked for way back with the Birmingham Bulls. It is former St. Louis Blue Phil Roberto. And Phil, uh, I heard you were coming to the game here for game number four and uh, was just excited all day long to see you. It's great to see you again. How are you doing? and are you excited to be back here in St. Louis? Oh, yeah. My wife's from St. Louis, and it's always nice to come back here, uh, you know, and see people like you and Steve Chapman, who we all worked together years ago and uh, came through the ranks. And I'm so glad that you you got the job that you have now because uh, you were kind of mentored in Birmingham. Oh, I was. Uh, you actually left me behind on one bus trip, and when I finally got back to the hotel, you said, ah, suck it up. <laughs> so you, you learned the rough part. I had, I had so much fun with it and, and working with you there, hearing some of the old stories. And your history is so amazing from a, a Stanley Cup championship uh, to having your name on the cup. We'll talk about that in just a moment and how they ended up spelling your name wrong. But all the way through your time here in St. Louis, what did that mean to you when you look back on it? I look back, I, when I was first got traded from Montreal to St. Louis, uh, it kind of broke my heart. But when I, when I, when I got here, um, they made me feel right at home. Mr. Solomon uh, picked me up at the airport and uh, took me out to his farm, and we went fishing. And, uh, you know, he was treated the players as family, and, you know, they, they were great owners and made the players feel right at home here. You know, you're a part of a couple of big trades. You mentioned that one. That was a trade that sent the very first original blue, Jimmy Roberts, back to Montreal. Right. Of course, Jimmy was eventually known as one of the 100 greatest Montreal Canadiens of all time. But then also part of another big trade that reached a big piece of blues history when they sent you to Detroit for Red Baron. And so it was kind of coming and going with some big names involved. Yeah, I was involved in some big trades. And, uh, you know, the trades, uh, you know, were good for me. They were good for the organization. And, you know, you always like to stay in one place and play your whole career there. But it, that's uh, pretty hard to do in uh, the game of hockey. So you came to St. Louis uh, to play some hockey and you met a girl. Yeah, I met my wife here. Uh, it was kind of funny. It was a blind date, and uh, she knew nothing about the sport of hockey or, or who I was. And uh, as you can see, uh, my son's sitting over here in the corner. Uh, yeah, I, I got a good one. I got a good wife. <laughs> 
that she did. It was uh, it was it was fun getting to, to know her as well. When you get a chance to come back here to St. Louis and uh, and and see her family or other family members in here, is it a special place for you to come? Oh, it always is. Like last night, went to one of my old watering holes uh, that we used to go to when we played here, and uh, you know, to just to walk in there and see the place it still looks the same. Uh, the food food was good and uh, the beer was cold. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like to be part of the St. Louis Blues franchise in the early days? Uh, it was I mean you know we had the colored skates back then and and all that and we, you know we got anything with that we wanted stick wise equipment wise. I mean you were just treated to, it was a total different atmosphere from Montreal to St. Louis where Montreal was more regimented and the, the Blues were kind of uh, freewheeling. All right, we have heard for years uh, the story of the great night in Philadelphia from Bobby Plager. We have not heard from you in terms of what that perspective was for, from, from how you would tell it. What do you remember about that night, and what in the heck happened? Well, it kind of got ugly. Al Arbor walked, was walking off the ice, and, uh, you know, at the end of the period, we got a penalty, and uh, he was kind of really upset. So he walked over to where the Zamboni go, went off uh, and on the ice, and uh, that's when the altercation all started over there with the security guard. And he got hit over the head with a nightstick by a policeman. So we rushed to his aid, and it, it, it got pretty pretty ugly. It did. Now Bobby tells the story that uh, he was able to stay locked in the the locker room. So when they were taking everybody else out and taking numbers, they didn't get his number, and somehow he avoided the paddy wagon at the end. Well, if anybody's ever saw the picture, he was the first guy in the stands, and uh, <laughs> and he got he got off scot free, and uh, we spent the night the whole night in jail, and the team flew back, and uh, we spent the night in the can, and Mr. Solomon uh, got us out in the morning. Some of those uh, stories and some of the lore, is, is it some of the fun of what the game used to be like back then? It was, it was a big part of the game, the, the rough, rough style of hockey. And, uh, you know, the, we were in the old buildings at that time, you know, when the fans were right on top of you, like the Boston Gardens, who uh, I hate the Bruins, as you know. Uh, it goes back to when we beat them in the first round and the fight I got into in the Boston Garden. And, uh, you know, I just hate the Bruins. It, so do I. I've gotten to that point. You, once again, we're right back on the same page there. But you were part of that big rivalry. I mean, especially from an original six standpoint, uh, the, the rivalry between the Bruins and the Montreals is as nasty as it gets. Well, when we, uh, I think it was the last game of the season or uh, the last time we went into Boston, uh, and that's when we had the big brawl there. And they thought they could intimidate us and uh, – uh, going into the playoffs, we bent them in the first round, and due to the uh, the fight that we had, and we showed them that they couldn't push us around anymore, so uh, we went out and uh, beat them. What is it like to have your name on the Stanley Cup? It's a great honor to have your name on the Stanley Cup. I mean, that's what you play the game for is to uh, to win the championship, and I'm very lucky to have played with some great players and. Uh, and uh, fortunate my career was pretty good you know I won a Memorial Cup Stanley Cup uh, so that that was quite an honor and I'm very happy to be able to have done that 
than you. And, and we, we were just talking to Joey, too, uh, who, who has a, a national championship ring from the University of Alabama. Kind of cool to have some championship pedigree running through the family, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, he down in Alabama, there's not much uh, ice there, much competition in hockey. So he went the football route and baseball route with uh, his brother. And they both, uh, they both ended up playing against, uh, together at the uh, UAB. At the, at the same time and when the UAB went Division One in football. So I was pretty happy to watch them on the field at the same time. What is the story behind your name being spelled wrong on the Stanley Cup? Uh, you know, I really don't know. I mean, somebody made a mistake. Yeah, we'll get to, we'll get to the bottom of it one way, but yeah. they put Roberts, not Roberto, right? I don't know what the, you know, I hear the story. I never saw it spelled wrong. I mean, I looked at it today. And it, it, the second they fixed it. They, yeah, they, oh, did they, they fix it on the second one? Yeah, supposedly it was spelled wrong, but I never n- noticed it. I think the history of it actually is that, that you are one of two people that have ever had their, their name spelled wrong on the cup. So it's some real unique history attached to you. Well, that's a great honor to have. <laughs> you know, you dedicated your whole life to hockey. For those that don't know, I mean, even in the WHA, your playing days there, part part of the baby bulls in the WHA, you you really you tasted kind of the birth of hockey in the United States in a way that not many people did, whether it be in the WHA or an expansion franchise. Yeah, you know, we had John Bassett as an owner when I played for the Birmingham Bulls, and unfortunately, he got sick. And he, he was going to bring uh, uh, Birmingham into the NHL. But due to his health, he, he, he just couldn't do it. He wasn't up to doing it. And that's when uh, they took in, I think it was four teams from the WHA into the NHL. And, you know, unfortunately, Birmingham wasn't one of them. What was it like to dedicate your life then to the, the coaching side of things and, and, and the different minor league teams that you were a part of? Coaching is very stressful, <laughs> believe me. You know, I just uh, you don't realize how stressful it is on a coach, and you got to have the right kind of temperament to to be a coach. Like I was a hothead coach, and I watch some of the coaches today that you know they're behind the bench, and I don't know how they control their emotions because I sure couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but you had to. But even then, when you were doing it, it wasn't just coaching. You were recruiting. You were building teams. Yeah. You were you were general managers. You weren't just one aspect of the team. You were every aspect of no, the team. You, you were on the phone all summer, you know, trying to recruit players and and having affiliations with higher level uh, teams so that they would assign uh, kids to you and hopefully. You know, that you could develop that kid so he could go back up to the American Hockey League or whatever, you know, because any, any kid that plays at whatever level of minor league hockey, their, their dream is to play in the NHL. And, you know, some do and some don't. How is retirement been treating you? Uh, very good. I, I enjoy uh, myself. Uh, I kind of do my son's run. Uh, he's in the Napa auto parts business, and uh, so I do his morning run for him and uh, the, the one that nobody else wants to do. So <laughs> I do it. I get in the trenches, and uh, I'm home by 1 o'clock. Do you still watch the game a lot? I watch as much as I can. We don't get much hockey down there, you know, unless you, you buy it, you right. know, through cable. But, uh, you know, I watch it. I, uh, unfortunately, the other night, I didn't like the outcome of that game. <laughs> you, I, it's kind of unique to think about when you, you really do look at it. Here you are. I, I got to assume that when you won us after winning a Stanley Cup with Montreal and you're playing in St. Louis and moved to Detroit, that eventually you'd be settling in Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah, that was that was. Uh, uh, I wouldn't have stayed in Birmingham, but my boys were young then, and they were in school, and they got settled. And then I got into the restaurant business and ended up staying there, which I think was a great move. 
that ended up working out real well. Well, it's, it's terrific to catch up with you. When I tell stories about my first years in the business, it all starts with you, starts with Hoyt, starts with Chap, and you know, and, and some of those experiences because uh, you really showed me the ropes in the early on and uh, helped me with the foundation. So I cannot thank you enough, and it's an absolute thrill to have you back here in town. Great to see you again, Phil. Thanks, Chris, and I'm uh, glad to see you up here at the highest level of the game because you sure work for it. Well, there you have it. That is uh, Phil Roberto. Always great to catch up with him, and uh, he has a blue note on his chest like so many other former blues. That wraps up this week's edition of the Boardwalk Carbon Floors Behind the Bench show. My thanks to Doug Armstrong, to Craig Baruby, to Phil Roberto, to Mike Ryder for helping with the production of the show as well. And that wraps up this week's edition. Coming up Friday, we've got another edition of Play Gloria for you. Our encore edition is we replay Game 7 against the Boston Bruins on the one-year anniversary of the Blues winning their first ever Stanley Cup. That game will start at 6 o'clock Friday night. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great rest of your week, everybody. We'll talk to you next week here on 101 ESPN.